This, oh my gosh, guess what? Hmm. Guess what episode this is? Is this 10? This is ep 10. We are ep 10. We've gone double digits. We have hit double digits. That's pretty fantastic. That needs a, I, I don't know, this is like a commemorative day or something. We should get commemorative plates. Oh, or I was going to say coffee mugs, but I like plates. Oh, no, you got to get the plates. Get the little racks people can put up. You know, we can bring it back. I know, well, I know what we need to do. Hmm. Let's give it a, a moment of silence so I can put like a little fanfare in right here. Okay. Okay, that was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if any of our listeners wants a commemorative plate, you know, text us at 815-314-0363. Oh, my gosh. You're actually going to go home and look up how much they cost now. Oh, no, no. I think we get some Sharpies. And, you know. <laughs> and with your artistic abilities... <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, we should probably. <laughs> oh boy. Should we get this thing started? <laughs> Let's do it. Well, welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church, the only podcast you will ever need. My name is Mark Chaffee, your friendly... Friendly... My friend... Is that Morse code there? Are you giving your name in Morse code? (laughs) Your friendly neighborhood podcast cruise director. And with me, as always, is my good friend, pastor and boss, the man who can recite the chemical name for tryptophan synthase from memory. Let's give it up for Dave Godini. And there was much rejoicing. Hey, everyone. I thought you, at this point, you're going to ask me what the heck is tryptophan synthase. It's related to trichloride, isn't it? No. No? No, you know what it is? Hmm. I actually looked this up because that's what I do. It's actually a protein. It's the longest word in the, um, probably ever, I was going to say the English language, but technically it's probably not English. It's a 1,913-letter enzyme with 267 amino acids. That's, That's the, kind of fantastic. The, yeah, actually. the word itself is nineteen hundred letters long. You want to see it? Yeah, right. I do. I do. I think we should put this on the website too. Oh, of course I will. Since you can't recite it from memory, I'm just going to ask you to read it. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Guinea. Wait, this is like seriously one word. That's one word. Hold on, let me intro. No, you copied this like over and over. This is like a cut and paste going on. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dave Guinea reciting. Tryptophan synthase. What do we got here? How do you even start with this? Methionylglutaminylacinylacrylaminate. Lalani, you're just like copying random syllables here. This is made up. No, it's not. That is made up. It seriously is not. Yeah. I will. I will put it on the website, and then you can Google it. Well, I could Google a lot of things. That doesn't mean it's not made up. <sighs> you can actually go to like a, a fancy schmancy, like official, like Oh, so it looks site. pretty. It, it looks good. Like well, so the website no. looks, looks good. So we know it's true. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Oh, no, no. That's, that's important to know because. Well, you know, if it's on Wikipedia, it has to be true. 
Hey, I'm a defender of Wikipedia. I love me some wiki. And all Every the teacher are good. seems like so anti-Wikipedia. I think that the tide has turned on this a little bit, but there was always like this anti-wiki thing in research. I mean, I get it. You can't quote wiki in a research paper, right. but right. But well, you can't. Kind of create. Well, you can't. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the best uh, way to do it. All right. Well, I want to get an I love wiki T-shirt. Or maybe we just stamp it on our commemorative plates. <laughs> Should we finish the intro? I just think that's a horrible thing you did right there. What? That half paragraph, man. That Oh, the tryptophan. Or half paragraph, half page. It's a so half- like literally this 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 word, if this word is legitimate, is is a half page and none of the consonant combinations make sense. Here, you gotta hold it up. I'll I'll snap all this right. for Instagram. All right. So uh for all our um, organic chemists out there give us some help okay there we go all right we got it tryptophan synthase crazy right if it's real and if it's not real equally crazy for other reasons all right you know let's not do any questions this week let's just (laughs) ramble on for about 45 minutes yeah right right (laughs) how does that sound Oh my gosh. Okay. Cause, cause, cause rambling on certainly has never happened in church. <laughs> Ramble on. All right. Uh, no, seriously. Like, should we finish the intro? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. What do we got left in the intro, Mark? All right. How about how we do this things? Okay. Okay. How do we do it, Mark? What we do is we go to the website or we text in or we call Dave at home. No, don't do that. You but, can do that. Well, no, because then you would know. The questions you're getting. Oh, that's true. Call Mark at home. Right. No, don't go. (laughs) The whole point of this is you guys submit questions and um, I filter through them. Dave doesn't see them ahead of time. We sit down. We talk about stupid stuff. And I start throwing these questions in his face and he just answers them as best he can. And that's how it works. But yeah, go to questions you never thought you could ask in church.com, guys. You could post the questions right there. Mark mentioned you could text them in as well to 815-314-0363. We also invite you to check out our social media pages. Mark, what are those channels? You can hit us up at Can Ask in Church on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the friendly social media outlets, maybe even some unfriendly ones. And, and uh, if you make your question a meme, Mark is happy. I am. You go to the front of the line. Because we don't have enough memes on social media. We don't have any memes on social media. Like we don't, like personally, you're saying? Well, you said we don't have any memes on... Oh, I'm talking the entire enterprise of social media. Oh. It's like gone meme fest. Don't you think it's gone meme fest? It really has. Yeah. I mean, I, memes are cool. Don't get me wrong. But when, fest, but fests, fests. Gosh, I can't speak today. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. We're going to get some really cool questions here. You need some more bubbly. I should stop sucking alum. Alum? alum. What's that stuff they used to like? Remember the cartoons? And oh, like, yeah, that's right. It would make their mouth go, like, Man, I don't know what you're chewing on in your spare time. So, Oh, boy. Um, ready for the first question? Yeah, let's hit it. Who are Jehovah's Witnesses? What do they believe? And how can I stop them from knocking on my door? <laughs> <laughs> Who are they? Well, you know, I don't know them all by name. So, uh-huh. um, you know, what I'd encourage you to do is maybe just kind of approach people on the street or maybe knock on doors yourself and just simply go, are you Jehovah's Witness? And, you know, through a process of elimination, you can find out if they are being honest, who they are and who they are not. Okay. As, as, a, as a society, as a collective, um, no, seriously, um, 
what are the Jehovah's Witnesses? What do they believe? And things like that. Yeah, it, it's a newer movement that uh, um, has a a Christian background, but but Christianity would call them a sect, meaning mm-hmm. it's a it's an aberrant belief group um, that that has Christian roots and Christian basis, but that has taken certain beliefs um, and, and distorted what we would consider core foundational Christian teachings of of who Jesus is. Um, and have developed a, a faith system and tradition around them. Um, you know, I, I like to kind of approach these uh, questions of different groups immediately by saying, look, you know, the Jehovah's Witness comes knock on your door. Um, treat them with the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so I think a generation ago, people have gotten strange about this, where there was these like, ooh, stay away, anathema, or something like that. Right. Uh, they might be the best neighbors you ever have. I don't know. But uh um, nonetheless, they take evangelism very seriously. Um, maybe something that we could learn um, as Christians. I wish we had the same kind of fervor, maybe mm-hmm. not the same kind of methodology, right. um, but at least the same kind of heart. And uh, they believe that they're prophets, that they, they are witnesses in the true sense of the word of Jehovah. Last mm-hmm. episode, we talked about the distortion of the name Jehovah. Right, right. Um, but let's not make that the key issue. The fundamental reason um, uh, of, of all the other uh, side teachings and strange teachings that people get hung up, like they don't allow blood transfusions, they don't celebrate hmm. birthdays, they don't celebrate Christmas. Right. And people make such a big deal about that kind of stuff. Um, okay, someone doesn't want to celebrate Christmas and put up a pagan tree in there. Like, what do I care, you know? <laughs> right. um, but the real issue... Um, for Christians in Jehovah's Witnesses is that they deny the deity of Christ. So they see Jesus as a prophet of God, uh, of which he truly is. Right. But in the process of of insisting and so strongly elevating his his prophetic nature, they 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 abrogate him to human without being divine and get the essence of who he is and what God has done through his salvific work on the cross and resurrection of Jesus um, by, by missing the, the deity of him right there. Now, there's, there's a lot of other things that we can get into that take it in, in, into stranger territory, um, views of the end times and how they think the afterlife is going to work. I mean, there's a collection out there. Well, let's unpack but, some of that then, because I, I do find it interesting. I think a lot of people would have the question, you know, if they don't believe in uh, salvation through Jesus, that he was not the Messiah, as we would call um, what well, is their speak, basic let, Let's be careful with the terms, because okay. I think you're using Messiah is something synonymous with divine, and okay. the two terms are not actually the same. Right. Okay. Yeah. What they're denying is the divinity of Christ. They do not see that Jesus is Yahweh. Okay. Gotcha. But they still do believe that salvation comes through Jesus. Uh, kind of, sort of, uh, that Jesus has come to usher in the way of God, um, that, that, that Jesus still died in some way for us, that there still is a way, but it's more a way of following Jesus than the sacrifice of the divine for humanity. Makes sense. Yeah? Feel good on that one? I do feel good on that I mean, that we one. can go long into that. There's a lot to say, but I mean, that, that, I think it's important to kind of get to the core issues with some of these things and not get distracted by all the side teachings that sometimes yeah. are a little more sensational, yeah, but nonetheless uh, a little more superfluous. I know some people would consider them a cult. Yeah, and I intentionally didn't use the word because, I mean, cult brings with it all kinds of connotations today. I mean, you... You ask five different people what a cult is, and, and depending on their 
frame of reference, you know, you're going to get five different answers. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember I used to go to this non-denom church out in Rockford and people said it was a cult because they came from a liturgical Lutheran background. Gotcha. I so mean, it, cult to them just meant weird to me. <laughs> meant not Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so what is a cult? A cult isn't fundamentally designed, uh, d- defined by something that is weird. You got to... Well, what is the uh, definition of a cult? Then? Well, in what circle? So you're saying there is no definitive. Well, well, there is, but but you know how a word can come to mean different things because because a word, of course, is defined by its usage, right? Right. Sure. And depending on what circle you're in, the word cult can mean something very different. So so the etymology of the word literally means care of. So think of the word agriculture. Whoa. Well, agros uh, yeah. means field. Right. So agriculture means care of the fields. Hmm. So in, in an ancient Near East context, cult meant the care of the gods. Hmm. So it would be the state religions. It would be the official priesthoods. It would be the accepted norms. But it, were, it was the priests and the temples and all that kind of stuff who, who devoted their times to caring for the temples and the idols and the statues and, and the rituals and making sure that hmm. it was all kind of done and managed and taken care of. And so you can read in biblical literature among the scholars where they'll talk about the, 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 the Hebraic cult or the Judaic cult or the ancient Israelite cult or the right. Yahweh cult cult not in any way trying to to well <laughs> depends who's writing it but but typically not meaning that it's somehow um you know false or implying right. that it's 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 scary or they're going to be like drinking the blood of your children in the night or something like that <laughs> right. it was just referring it's, it's it's a way of referring to the priesthood a way of referring to the the uh, jerusalem temple so right at some, so at some point in uh, in history it became uh, a negative or disparaging or derogatory Maybe it was, was it the people of God now decided, hey, this is what's one and true and real. And yeah, there are cults out there because that's how they were defined and that's how we were defined. Well, Did there automatically become like a separation at some point well, to know, become negative? If you kind of think it through, you come to the, uh, the point of Christianity and the early Christians realizing what God had done in Jesus and how in Jesus, God had given himself as the ultimate sacrifice. And so sacrifice no longer had to be offered at temples, Mm -hmm. be them Jewish or pagan, right? right? Okay. Well, the Christians, of course, made that shift, but that doesn't mean paganism or Judaism goes away. Now, the Jewish temple finally gets sacked in 70 AD, and that kind of ended that one. But you still have the pagan systems going on everywhere. Because the Christians were no longer sacrificing in the temples, animals, foods, You whatever. got it. You got it. So so as Christianity developed more and more, became more and more of a movement, became a, a bigger and bigger cultural force. Uh, well, there's the, that word cult. The cults are still going on, right. right? They're just going from a majority position to a minority position. And over time, it shifts to start meaning, oh, it's those weird little groups mm. out there doing these weird religious things. And of course they're sacrificing animals and doing blood stuff. So you get all kind of this connotation yeah. that goes with it. And so I think in popular usage today, while at some level there's kind of still that like scree- that, 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 that creepy, like witch coven kind of, mm-hmm. Oh, they're drinking my blood in the night kind of knee jerk reaction. Sure. It kind of fundamentally just gets used. I think in media and pop culture to mean anything that's aberrant or weird. Wow. At some point, it just became more of an us and them mentality. Right, right. 
So there, there's a place for the word, but I, I don't find it per se helpful anymore because I find it to be a polarizing word. Oh yeah. You know, you tell someone they're in a cult, mm-hmm. right? And, and it just, it, it, it just feels hurtful. Yeah. There's no way to say that in a positive way to, and, to love. In that and, way. and it's not really communicating what I think we're trying to get at when, when we talk about different groups, it's just, yes, you believe something different than I do. And a lot of times someone can believe something different than I do. And that doesn't separate us. We're still kind of fundamentally on the same lowest common denominator, right? even though the expression is different. But sometimes your lowest common denominator is different enough that we really aren't in agreement on the same fundamental issues because the way they're going to spell out right. is going to affect us dramatically. And so... Jehovah's Witnesses by uh, the majority of what you would call Orthodox Christianity have always been viewed as a non-Christian group mm-hmm. because their fundamental core beliefs vary enough, especially in the deity of Christ, mm-hmm. that you kind of cease to be Christian at some point. Yeah. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. You know what I love so much about doing this podcast? I had... No idea that conversation was going to go that direction. <laughs> that was fantastic. I mean, that was just fascinating. Oh, no, that's that was so cool. cool. I mean, I was prepared for like some funny stuff about, you know, how to keep them from knocking on your door. And I'm sitting here going, well, yeah, I've got some ideas. You know, There's maybe- this <laughs> flaming bag of poo or something. <laughs> There's this uh, Babylon Bee article out there right now yeah. where the headline is Jehovah's Witnesses accidentally knock on David, David Platt's door. And they show him like <laughs> fleeing from the door is like David Platt. I- I'll be honest with you. I love it when Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses come and knock on my door. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a chance to kind of just converse with people who, who really, let, let's face it. If you're going to do something like that, spirituality is important to you. Mm-hmm. God is important to you. Yeah. You're, you're living and searching for something deeper than just, I think what 90% of people do of just like living day to day and their own pleasure and comfort and and immediate material concerns. Yeah. So the chance to talk with people, I mean, is uh, why people get so threatened by this. I mean, obviously if it's a bad time, sure. We can be polite with anyone. Hey, would love to talk to you sometime, but now isn't really good. Fantastic. Ready to move on? Question two. Alrighty. Number two. Is it sinful to live with a boyfriend slash girlfriend before marriage? What about sex before marriage? And would you please give me some biblical references? Uh, sex before marriage, yes. Um, living with someone before marriage, uh, it, it could be. It's, it's more of an issue of temptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know historically the Christian church has often kind of um, tried to make some hard lines in the sand on that one. Yeah. And I always thought it kind of missed the point because I think sex is the issue mm-hmm. as opposed to address. Right. And I, I think two people can live in the same place and honor God more than two people who live in different places and nonetheless are engaging in, uh, you know, sexual activity with each other right. that would be out of bounds that two people together might not be. Right. But I think it's the knee-jerk assumption always that if you're living together, you're obviously sleeping together. Yeah. Like, Probably the case 99.9% of the time. <laughs> well, I get if, it. Yeah, if you're in a relationship, but not if you're like three's company or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and you know me, I'm always the yeah. master of exceptions. And, and yeah. I have known people in various circumstances that... Um, have lived together. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for example, I knew someone who moved in with his girlfriend nine months before they got married, but he lived in the basement. She lived up upstairs and, uh, guess what? Their parents lived there too. Hmm. So yeah, 
yeah, so let, it, let's not be trite so uh, about co- every exception. Yeah, the cohabitating yeah. thing is not the issue. Yeah. So going back then, um, you say that sex before marriage is it the is issue. the issue, and it all roots out of this this fundamental sexual moray uh, that you see in the Bible of of committing adultery. Mm-hmm. That that God has designed sex, that He sees sex as good, that He sees it as a gift, that He has a purpose for it, and the purpose isn't just procreation. There's a bonding and enjoyment between two people that's not supposed to be broken. Yeah. So so this monogamous lifelong relationship you see being tied into sexuality as mm-hmm. God sees it. So so the 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 base level violation becomes, of course, committing adultery. Which means, of course, cheating on your spouse. And we know mm-hmm. how that works directly, mm-hmm. right? But out of that comes all kinds of implications of ways that we flirt with that line or do it indirectly, yeah. so to speak, even though you're not going to be able to open the Bible and find a passage that says, do not have sex with someone before you're married to them. Yeah. Well, even as I say that, you will find passages in the Old Testament law that talk about if two people do sleep together. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, well, you did get married now. Right. I'm not saying that's the pattern that we should follow today, but nonetheless, sure. um, you will see those indications. But there's the, the the logical sense that comes out of committing adultery, that adultery can be committed in more ways than simply having sex with someone else while you're married to a individual. Right. It could involve anything from... Um, attitudes and mm. lust and yeah. fantasy and, and things like that. I mean, how does Jesus put it? You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully commits adultery internally. Right. And, you know, within that same passage out of Matthew 5, I think you get some intimations where sex out of marriage is almost like cheating on your future spouse. Yeah. So to be, or if you're divorced mm-hmm. and remarried, right? except for a few indications, Jesus would even say that's committing adultery, even though it's all legal and kosher Yeah, that's, in our side. So it's both sides, yeah. which... Such a tough one. Especially in the evangelical culture, we've, at least, you know, me being growing up in the 80s, it was such an emphasis on sex before marriage. Yeah. And yet, how many divorced and remarried people are there and it's almost treated as just... Yeah. Like sex is, after marriage is an issue as well. You got it. Why? That's got really it. crazy. So yeah, I encourage, uh, you, you know, look at that passage in Matthew 5 on adultery. And, and Jesus says something fascinating. You know, you've heard it said, um, if you divorce your wife, you're to give her a certificate mm-hmm. of divorce. But he kind of turns around with that classic, you know, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife for anything other than marital unfaithfulness. Now, the Mark version doesn't even have that in it, but right. Matthew has Jesus giving that exception. So except for what uh, Greek would be called porneia, um, marital unfaithfulness, it, 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 it's an arena of right. things, um, causes her to become an adulteress, which is odd, that, isn't it? Yeah, that is. Because it's like, how does my divorcing her cause right. her to be in a state, so to speak, that we would call sinful, cause her right. to be an adulteress? And then let me just wrap it up. He goes on to say, and if you marry the divorced woman, you commit adultery. And it's the idea that you see that also applies to sex before marriage because we were married together in God's eyes. I divorced you. Mm -hmm. And now you're guilty of being someone who had sex with someone who's no longer your spouse, even though you're not having sex right now. Right. Right. And so do you see how that would apply to a premarital sex state? As well, are you are you following the logical I, you know, connection? I am, but 
the I, li- I'm not saying do you like it. I'm just no. saying. You- <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody likes it. No, no, it, but- it's so. I'm going to use words like severe and harsh intentionally because our, our cultural norm mm-hmm. is so different. I mean, people have wanted to have sex since Adam and Eve right. and have struggled with sexual purity. But today where we live in such a, what, what, what has been termed serial monogamy, mm-hmm. meaning right. monogamy is no longer lifelong. Monogamy is just right now. Right. That, that these, these strong statements by Jesus on, uh, you know, sex with other people, even if it's in the context of remarriage. Right. Um, also carrying an adulterous kind of connotation in God's, whoa, yeah, whoa. My daughters, uh, when they were teenagers, um, always had their boyfriends ask, ask for my permission to, to date them, which That's was the coolest thing. It, it is. And, and I really, I really love this. It's one of those things where I kind of only kind of really had to say once and they were, they were into it. They're like, yeah, okay. And, uh, one thing that I always said to each of these boys, I always had very specific conversations and, you know, they'd be different for each guy, yeah, but of course. there was one thing central that I would always communicate. I would say, yeah, I'm really happy for this. I just want you to think about this. It's likely that you are not going to be marrying my daughter just statistically. Okay. I would like you right now to be treating my daughter the way you want your future wife to be treated by her current boyfriend. Wow. Wow. You know, because when you put it into that perspective... No, no, no but talk about just a, a respectful, yet honest, right. heartfelt, direct kind of, wow, that's cool, man. Yeah, somebody else is probably dating your future wife right now. Can I ask? I mean, yeah. and I understand that, of course, you know, your dad, so whatever they're thinking, unless mm-hmm. they're complete idiots, they're going to be respectful in yeah. appearance. But yeah. h- how is that kind of stuff received? And how did how did your daughters feel about it too? You know, it, <laughs> I think my daughters loved. Well, I don't know if they know specifically that I've said that, but I'm assuming the boys have uh, you know maybe you mentioned sure? it to them. Uh, I think they really appreciate it. You know, they want to be treated like the the princesses that they are, pure and undefiled, and to have a father, a mother, a parent figure to stand up for them in that way, I think it's just so vitally important mm. for their self-esteem, for their confidence. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. That's pretty cool. This is number three. I don't know whether I should be more upset at you guys or more disappointed in myself for clicking the free beer link on your website. <laughs> Any thoughts? <laughs> Hey, Mark, you designed the website, man. That's one for you to answer. <laughs> well, that was going to be my first question. Do you have any idea what that person is talking about? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, okay, I do. so you've actually yeah. been to the website. Yes, oh. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, remember no. Social Network? It's like, yeah. <laughs> and I forget his name, but he was like, you know, the, uh, what was, uh, Saverin, um, Eduardo. Eduardo. Yeah. And what was... Well, it? he was the CFO of Facebook. You know, I'm, right, I, right. I don't know how much of this is like true, but you right. know, basing it off the movie. Oh, oh and he was, that, you know, he was the key investor. He was, he, so he became the CFO. He was like right. 30% of Facebook. He didn't know how to change his relationship status. You know, <laughs> yeah. So you're saying that's kind of like you. Well, we won't go into any more further explanation. But on yes, that. I, I, uh, I, I do know that link. Uh, I saw right. that. I kind of laughed when I saw it. And, and yes, I clicked it myself. And uh, <laughs> hey, listener, um, I'm still waiting for that free beer from Mark as well. So. 
If you'd like to know more information about what we're actually talking about, head over to questions you never thought you could earth, earth. head over to questions you never thought you could ask in church.com and, and just find it. Click the free beer link. I think we have just like in one fatal swoop, though, rendered that link completely irrelevant at this point. No, because we didn't really say, you know, just go there. All right. I've heard the term religionless Christianity. Where does that come from and what does it mean? Again, this is just commenting on the elasticity of language and how words are defined. Mm -hmm. Everyone likes words to have a fixed dictionary meaning. Right. But that's not how words get their meaning. Words get their meaning from context, from usage. Mm -hmm. And so when people refer to religionless Christianity... It will often refer to one of two things. Mm -hmm. Among Christians, what I have found is that it refers to a way of getting away from all the religiosity that has a certain tendency of overshadowing the heart of who God is and what God wants and what the Jesus movement is about. So getting hung up on um, the rituals that we do on any given Sunday morning in church, all the other... um, Um, guidance rules that might be even good in their own right that nonetheless aren't coming from the word of God that that almost become substitutes for a living relationship with Christ. So people in that context who say religionless Christianity often are meaning, I'm trying in my heart to to move and elevate to a place of primacy, a a living relationship with God that looks like an actual relationship Mm -hmm. rather than devaluing what Christianity is supposed to be into just a list of rules and rituals and um, institutional functions to follow. Could it be in that context that folks are dismayed with the church and they say, I am a Christian. I just can't handle the institution right now. I love Jesus. I follow him with all my heart. Obviously, there's issues with your if you're not communing with with, well, with again, other believers, but it I think it I think it happens two different ways because uh, in one way I'll find a lot of people who who are very active mm-hmm. in the institutional church. Mm-hmm. It's just a value comment on what's most important uh, and what's secondary. Gotcha. And so, uh, and I think this is the healthy way. Uh, to practice it, where it's the living relationship with Christ growing and learning and and, and, and living day to day with that internal transformational change in the right. indwelling of his spirit as you are in Christ simultaneously um, that gets expressed in different ways without getting hung up yeah. on all these institutional traditions that um, can be embraced to a, a degree that you want, but aren't really what the, the thing's all about. Yeah, I, I've heard people say, you know, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Or, right. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian, but I'm not religious. And so that's the other way. Um, you know, I think we see this happen too, where, where, and this tends to be something I see more from people who aren't Christian, hmm. um, or to what you said earlier, are, are Christians who have become very disillusioned and dismayed with the church, that they're right. not giving up on God, but uh, they're they're so burned or angry or hurt because of a way that a an organization treated them or what an organization has been guilty of, or what an organization is focusing on, that they kind of step away from organizations altogether for kind of more of a, you know, solo experience. Yeah. When I read that question, the first thing actually that came to mind for me was Bonhoeffer. Okay. Um, I'm not sure why. I think 
he, I think he talks a lot about that as well. You want to give maybe a 30 second rundown on who Bonhoeffer is? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor during World War II, jailed for his faith, wrote extensively. I think wrote extensively in a way that has impacted. Well, um, and jailed by the Nazi regime, yeah, yeah. too, just Sorry. to kind of, yeah. Yeah, and um, actually died in prison, too, right? Yeah, 11 days before the fall of Berlin. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you could probably speak to this better than I can, but um, I believe his writings and his his thinking just on Christianity in general really impacted the modern generation of, of thinkers and, and Christianity, don't you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazingly so. So what were some of his tenets then that you think that were most impactful from this concept of religionless Christianity? I don't know how much Bonhoeffer used, Brad. I don't but... know if Bonhoeffer would have ever used the word religionless Christianity, mm-hmm. because even though he very well could have, I mean, what was so amazing about Bonhoeffer in his movement was that there was a certain sense of, I think, disillusionment or frustration that that a lot of what a lot of the state church of Germany at the time wasn't taking a stand against the atrocities and horrors Mm. that were being propagated by Hitler or or, or Nazism. Right. And, and he of all people could have walked away from the church in disillusionment. Right. And yet he didn't. And when I say he didn't, that isn't to mean he said he found himself or believed himself to be in some lockstep agreement with everything happening by various institutions, that, 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 that the hierarchy was the most important thing. No, no. I mean, he went out as a, a prophet, but he still viewed himself as part of the body of Christ and still viewed church as we think of church, like physical getting together, mm-hmm. you know, not just invisible universal church, but yeah. actual visible church as being important and valuable. You called him a prophet. What is a, in that context, what do you mean? Well, uh, you know, I use the word basically to refer to the way that you look at where society might be. It could be church. It could be um, the state. It could be just culture, whatever. And and a prophet is one who kind of sees it, goes, there's something not right here. And, and, and there's something that God has spoken that we need to restore or get back to and speaks into the context of what's going on with the hopes of going back to what God would desire and where we've ended, as opposed to where we've ended up. So as a prophet, as speaking that type of truth into the church and arguably into the world in general, perhaps the religious, religionless Christianity from that standpoint is understanding where the church in Germany had gone at that time and say, hey, listen, we need to rescue Jesus from the church right now and um, stand for what's true and what's right, regardless of the consequence. There's a phrase that Bonhoeffer coined, and a lot of people don't realize it, but it's cheap grace. Hmm. That came from him? Yeah, as oh, I, I understand it. Wow, I yeah, didn't know that. As I understand it, it did. Um, you know, listeners, please try to prove me wrong on that, but it, everything that I've read <laughs> and, uh, and seen and, and studied yeah, on it. Uh, that, that's a phrase a lot of us have heard. It, you know, yeah. So what is cheap grace? Yeah, I mean, cheap grace, I mean, it's hard to kind of <laughs> well, just, just, sum the, yeah, the just entire the total of it up, but, but I mean, the elevator speech on cheap grace is simply to say, since Jesus died for me and gives me salvation freely, it's something that's not going to cost me anything. Powerful. You know, approaching your relationship with Christ is just in, in a casual, laissez-faire yeah. uh, kind of mentality. And, and Bonhoeffer was Bonhoeffer was actually in the States, was convicted 
here in the States, and not legally convicted, internally convicted by the spirit, (laughs) here in the States to go back into his mother country of Germany to take a stand and subvert and preach against the Nazi regime. And he went in knowing full well what it might cost him, and it did eventually lead to his arrest and imprisonment and ultimate execution. So, I mean, he becomes uh, just a fantastic symbol of someone who practiced what he preached in that sense. And so, you know, when we talk about cheap grace with Bonhoeffer, to me is that applies to religionless Christianity. Um, sometimes I think it, okay, I mean, let me back up. I love the t-shirts. I love the phrase. I, I lived the movement so long of, you know, reject religion, embrace Jesus because of what it meant. Yeah. But I think that for Bonhoeffer, when he talks about cheap grace, sometimes it convicts those of us who want religious religionless Christianity most of all. Hmm. Because I think many of us have just gone, I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. You know, why, why do I need to be a part of it? Why, 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 why even fight for it? Sure. And there's strangely, arguably a prophetic call from Bonhoeffer to Christians hmm. to restore what the church is supposed to be as opposed to just going, I'm going to do it on my own. Here we have one from Joe. This came in from the website. How do you know when you are born in the spirit? How do you know when you are born in the spirit? Maybe start by defining what that means. Well, Jesus says you must be born again. John three, I just encourage you to read it on your own. And he'll talk about it in different ways. You need to be born from above. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to be born of water and the spirit. And this idea that we are spiritually dead and that we are dependent on God giving us rebirth or new life or raising us back to life um, spiritually. Because even though we're walking around and look just fine, um, ultimately we're separated from God and our spirits are dead. And that we can't resurrect ourselves. We're dependent on God to resurrect us. And the way, of course, he does that is through his spirit. Uh, God's Holy Spirit is basically God's um, manifestation, God's presence, God's um, presence here in his material creation. So that as the Father is enthroned in heaven, he sends his spirit to work here on earth and uh, revivify, re, <laughs> you know, um, resurrect, you know, whatever language you want to give. And um, alive on the outside, but dead on the inside. Yeah. And so depending on who you ask, this is going to have a carry a, a different connotation, mm-hmm. but, but at a basic level that, that well, I, think, I think you're being asked. So yeah, <laughs> all Christians would agree. Yeah. And, and, and where I think Jesus is going with this is basically it's equivalent to salvation. It's equivalent to saying, am I saved? Am I spiritually alive? Right. Am I born again? So that's what it means to be born in the spirit. And there's a simple litmus test you can do. Yeah. So how do you know if you're it. born yeah. in the spirit? Do you believe in Jesus? That's it. And when I say, do you believe in Jesus? What I am not saying is, do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth was an actual human being Mm -hmm. born around four BC and, you know, died around 30 AD? No. Do you believe that Jesus is Yahweh? Um, Do you call him and seek him as your savior and Lord? Have you repented? Have you turned to him? Mm-hmm. Um, has that, that happened? Because if that happened, that only happened because of something the Spirit of God did in your heart and in your life, and you would never find yourself in that place if not for the Spirit of God. So if you are someone who calls on the name of the Lord, someone who is repentant, someone who is 
bearing fruit in every good work is a manifestation of that. Legitimately, not just going through the motions. Uh, yeah, not just giving lip service, right. but, um, y- you know, uh, truly a believer in Jesus' name, what that term is supposed to mean. Um, yeah, you're born of the Spirit. The Spirit's in you. Well, everyone, we want to thank you again for questions here today. The, um, always just blown away at, at, at just how amazing they are and the uh, the diversity of things that people are thinking about. We want to encourage you to keep sending them in. Any questions you have on the Bible, Christian uh, faith, Christian teaching, Christian doctrine, life, the universe, God, and everything else in between. Uh, you know, you can text them in. You can post them on our website. Again, the number is 815-314-0363. The website is questions you never thought you could ask in church. Social media channels as well. Can't ask in church. Post your questions there. Mark puts them together, gives them to me anonymously. I do the best job I can of answering them right here on the spot. We hope this has been a good show for you guys. And uh, hey, God bless. Wow, that was really good. I I wanted to jump in, maybe add something, but I think we need to end it right there. This is your chance. (laughs) This is your chance. Don't forget to go to the website, click on free beer, see what happens. All right, God bless, guys. Bye-bye. Yeah, that's where we're going to get a flood of questions that start with... Yeah. <laughs>